Today's sponsor is Sneakers, a DC DMV sports apparel company. Go check out their very cool designs at sneekis.com. Hoodies, t-shirts, hats, and at checkout, enter Pixel and Roll and get 10% off your order. Also, in the process, you help support independent media. So go do it. Thanks a lot. And now, it's the Pixel and Roll Show with Adam Margulis. Welcome to another edition of the Pixel and Roll Show, where we discuss <sighs> this crappy basketball team, your Washington Wizards. Hello everyone, this is Adam McGinnis, it is December 7th, 2016, the 75th anniversary of Pearl Harbor, so let's discuss a non-depressing topic, those Washington Wizards, they are currently 7 and. 13 on the season, dropping a game last night to the Magic in tragic fashion in the sense that it was not really close. The Magic were, are not very good, and John Wall went for a career-high 52 points, and they still lost pretty easily. Today has not been a good day in Wizards land, Wizards Twitter, or just fandom in general as it has been pile-on time about those Washington Wizards. We are at the ledge. We, as in fans, today, Adam Rubin of Truth About It, Wizard season ticket holder, a guy that knows a lot about the history of this team. He's been following it throughout his whole life, from the Cap Center days to the MCI Center, and now the phone booth known as the Verizon Center. Didn't really get as meta into the games lately that I had been doing. Uh, the last podcast with Rashad Mobley, which went almost an hour and 50 minutes. You should go back and check that out. Me and Rashad really went into each player in the games and what's been going on uh, on the court. This one with Adam, we went very structurally. We we went more big picture, talking about culture and institutional, the ownership, management, heavy on Ernie, heavy on Ted Leonsons, a lot about you know what it's like to be a season ticket holder, the fans not showing up at games, what is the fallout, where this team goes goes from here in that sense, and how much is this really rock bottom? Because it does feel like it is. It is not as depressing as a conversation uh, as I'm making it out to be, but it's a very informative one, and thank you for your support. Now, this is my conversation with Mr. Adam Rubin. With me today is a man who is the best foreign-level blogger in the United States, Evarinas, Mr. Adam Rubin. Adam, how are you doing, man? Uh, good. How are you? Doing well. It's getting a little, little, little chilly here in the nation's capital, but uh, I'm, I'm hanging in there. Uh, yeah, certainly a tough day to be on Twitter today, Wizards Twitter. Oh, gosh, I, I, I did not uh, help that matter at all. People on the ledge, ready to jump off the ledge here on December 7th, uh, 2016 here. But, Adam, the Washington Wizards currently sit at 7-12. and Their last three games, they have lost to the Spurs 107-105 to in San Antonio, beat the Nets in Brooklyn 118-113, to and 
got beat last night at home to the Orlando Magic, 124 to 116. Adam, before we get into these games briefly, just was I haven't had you on this season. Just your thoughts so far about the 2016-2017 Washington Wizards. Well, I don't want to make things worse right off the bat, but they're actually seven and thirteen. You gave them the benefit oh, of a uh, oh my my bad, my bad. even worse than you uh, than you imagined. Um, yes, my well, bad. Th- thanks for correcting me. I like that. I like that. Only buttons. Only buttons. Unfortunately, this season has seemed to have gone the way almost every other one has in the last uh, twenty-five years or so, except for a few times where we started off pretty well. I mean, it's the hope was there for something different, but. Uh, the scary part for me is that John Wall and Beal, since he's come back, and Otto Porter obviously playing great. I mean, those are the three guys the team has built around. They're all playing well to above to above average for them, all, all having career years, it seems like. And yet, this is where we are. So it's almost, wh- where do you go from here? Uh, you know, you're looking at, I don't want to get too far ahead, but you're looking at Otto as a restricted free agent. If you're going to keep him, give him, whether it's $20 million a year or max or whatever, you're locked into a team of three guys who are playing really well, and yet you're seven and thirteen. So that sort of colors how I think a lot of people are looking at the season. Like, where where do we go from here? Uh, this is not the kind of start you, you want to see. Uh, I guess you give. I was giving Scott Brooks time. He was doing a lot of juggling early on in the season with the bench, still juggling. Um, but at some point, you have to ask, you know, is is this the, what the team is? Is this? I mean, is this who we are? You know, is this seven and thirteen team really who they are? And we're getting somewhat close to that point. I mean, you got to give it a little bit more time, I guess, but I just don't see any reason to to think they're any different than the seven and thirteen, especially when the guys who need to play well are playing well. The guys who aren't playing well, they aren't very good. You're not looking to see much of a turnaround from the bench players. So, you know, maybe a little more out of Oubre. Uh, a little more consistency. Quartet, you know, he's been up and down, but he's always been up and down. And I think Markeith is just sort of, we're seeing now why he, Phoenix was not that upset to let him go. I mean, he's okay, but he's inconsistent, and he shoots those mid-range jumpers and not that well, and his defense is very uh, lacking and lackadaisical. Yeah, you know, um, so it, it, it's, it seems that, Adam, that, you know, in previous years, we always had that injury excuse slash crux, you know, Beal would go down or, you know, Wall, you know, three or four years ago got hurt. We're waiting for him to come back. And, you know, Ellen Anderson last year to a lesser extent, waiting for guys to get back and get back and always this built-in excuse. And and when things didn't really materialize or Nene, for example, for some other season, you know, Nene being Nene. And this year, like you're right, I mean, aside from Bradley Beal being out for a week, you know, and I think Otto missed a game or, or went out of a game and missed some time or left the game early. But aside from that, like, the main guys are playing as well as advertised, if not more than we thought, especially John Wall coming off of uh, off-season knee surgery. And yet here we are at seven wins in the first 20 games you know, with the new coaching staff. You know, I think you're right in the sense that you want to give them some more time, especially with so many new players and a new mix and trying to figure out what identity, who they are. And we've seen Brooks try to mis- mix and match uh, things here, especially on the second unit. But now it's so frustrating because now we don't have the injury excuse, which which is a positive thing, but then why do they only have seven wins? And why are they one of the worst teams in the Eastern Conference? Well, that brings us to what's, I guess, been talked about a lot today, even but throughout the whole season, it is, is effort. It's You heard Wall talk about it last night. I guess he was the only person who talked to the media 
you know, saying that, you know, we shouldn't have to keep talking about it. But this is something Brooks was talking about. I remember the first game of the season at the end, they sort of it looked like the players quit on them at the, the end of the uh, the first game. So you really have to look at discipline and effort. And that's two things that really shouldn't be something that needs to be talked about. But the fact that it needs to be talked about is indicative of seems to be a bigger problem with the team, with whether it's this combination of players. I mean, I would say it goes even larger to institutional problems. But when the coach is saying you need, we all know how to box out, but we got to do it on the floor. We all know how to play defense, but we got to do it on the floor. What, what, what more needs to be said? I mean, if you're not going to put in the effort in the NBA, you're, you're, you're going to get blown out by teams like Orlando who can't score on anybody, but seem to get open layups against Washington. And it's kind of hard to say, what, what do you, how do you fix effort? I mean, it shouldn't even be something you have to discuss, but that seems to be the recurring theme with this team. Just effort, discipline, and playing a complete 48 minutes. I mean, that's, it, it just, that, that's something that shouldn't keep happening, but it's the recurring theme for several years now. Yeah. Another disappointing aspect of the last two games to me is you go back to last week. They play in Oklahoma City. They play in San Antonio. Those games come down to the end. They should have beat Oklahoma City. They had a chance, a very good shot to beat San Antonio, and they don't happen. They're on the road. Those games, don't go their way, but hey, you know, San Antonio, one of the top teams in the West. You know, Oklahoma City is playing very well, especially with uh, Russell Westbrook with a triple double machine right now, that one of the top stories in the NBA. And then here you go, you go into Brooklyn, a team that's struggling, a team that lost nine out of 10 games by almost 20 points a game, and the Wizards give up 66 points in the first half. And you talked about today. Wizards Twitter falling off a ledge. I didn't even want to watch the second half, but I had nothing else going on on Monday night. <laughs> it was rainy and crappy. So I watched the second half. The Wizards play well. They come back. And then the, last night, they just drop a complete egg. They give up 65 in the first half to Orlando and 40 points in the second quarter. Another just lax, lackadaisical defensive effort. And it goes back to these are some of the same things that we were talking about last year when Randy Whitman was the coach and you bring in new players, you bring in a new coaching staff and yet here it is. So does it speak to some bigger cultural institutional thing that you were just mentioning earlier? Yeah, I think so. And I think really when you look back to that this season earlier, the back to back when they lost in Philadelphia, you know, that just awful game. And the next night they beat the Knicks, you know, they played well and beat the Knicks also not a very good team. And when Ted Leonsis, put out that tweet, you know, of uh, Kelly Oubre's shoes, you know, with a shh, you know, symbol on it. And it's like, that's the mindset of this, of the, of the, the team that we lose to Philly in one of the possibly most embarrassing losses of the last decade. They, they were without MB. They were, they, they, forget the injuries. It was, just, it was embarrassing. And then if 24 hours later, you beat another bad team, it's, it's there showed you, look, we just won. We're, we're one and one against two awful teams. Like that is viewed as a success. And that's sort of a microcosm for how it's been, where the team's been bad, but they they win 10 games at the end of the season. Oh, look at that. Look what we did. Or they make the playoffs and lose in the second round, so therefore all the early haters are, are now uh, you know shown to be idiots. So it's just they look at these small things they're, they're latching onto to show that they've you know accomplished something when it's really the, the NBA, it's, it's, a, it's a make or miss league. It's a win or loss league. You, you look at the record, and you can look at the record throughout Ernie's tenure, but throughout even longer – it's not a good record. So finding these little things to point to and, and sort of chide the bloggers and people on Twitter for saying negative things, just that's sort of the mindset of the team. And I just go back to that Philly, New York back to back that 
the owner would have the, you know, that's what his mindset would be to sort of tell the fans, hey, look, stop complaining. Or, hey, it's great when you guys complain and you're so worried about us being 0-2. That's great for, you know, for pixels. Well, it's not so great for the fans when they've been watching this now for, you know, 30-plus years. Well, Adam, what's even more bizarre and even messed up is the Wizards almost collapsed against that next team. They scored like 47 points in the fourth quarter, had to bring the starters back, or it would have been a colossal failure. And that's the game you're picking to brag about? Yeah, I mean, that's, and that's right, but that seems to be the mindset, and that's the concern for if you don't see there as being a problem, there's, there's not going to be a solution. You're not going to look for a change. So when you point to just little victories, and that can sort of match what happened in the past uh you know when you trade from we had an awful season last year and just after two straight seasons in the second round but they traded for markeith morris and played a little bit better so therefore that you know washes their hands of of the issues you know and like let's wait till next year and let's see what markeith morris does when he's on the team because the starters played well at the end of last year let's see what they do when they get to play this year well we're seeing it now you know that that's and and there's no accountability yeah i was thinking about this today was you know, here you are two years ago. Um, I mean, almost seasons. They sweep the Raptors, right? You're, you sweep the Raptors. I've heard about that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You sweep the Raptors and then you go and you play the Hawks and John Wall's amazing, gets hurt. They come back and, and they scrapped it out. Here they are down. Uh, you know, Paul Pierce hits the bank shot. I called game. And honestly, from that game, this franchise has gone down, down, down gradually to the point now they are seven and 13 because you go in game five, you know, Nay does a box out, misses the rebound, and then they lose that series. And then last year was a slog and they don't lose more than five games, but they don't win more than five games. And then, you know, they finish up at the end of the season. So they have a 500 record, but you know, still was disappointing. You know, Wall sits out the last couple of games and then here's the big season or the big off season. Don't get Kevin Durant. Don't even get a meeting. You don't get Al Horford. Now it was reported this week Al Horford, he was getting maybe go to Houston. And, and so now the Wizards weren't even, uh, that was from Al Horford. So they weren't even second place. So we'd even have to fall back on that, uh, <laughs> that missed pipe dream that we were close second, you know, runner up, a bridesmaid and never a bride. And, and then this season started, then John Wall gets injured and then Bradley Beal is injured and, uh, you know, or signs a big contract and, and then we end up with Mahimi and Jason Smith and Nicholson and Sadoransky and Thornton coming back and Trey Burke and a new coaching staff and you invest in Scott Brooks and you don't interview anyone else. And here we are. Here comes the season. Wall surprisingly comes back and now they're seven and 13 and is last night to the magic when Wall goes for a career high in front of no fans at the arena. Is this rock bottom from that moment of, Paul Pierce hits that shot, right? Here they are, gutting it out without John Wall. He tries to come back in game five and six. You know, it doesn't happen, but they played admirably. And are we back at rock bottom already? I, you know, I would, you'd say it's rock bottom, but, you know, you're always cautioned by Flip Saunders. You know, it can can always get worse. Um, But... From that, you, you brought the, the one issue that's, that's an off-court issue, or at least a, in stadium but not on the court, is what makes it sort of feel like a, a rock bottom is the colossal just collapse in attendance. And that's something which, 
Yo, let the Adam people know, Adam, let the people know how few, you were there last night. How it looked dead. Yeah. How few people were in this arena last night? Tell the people. Well, they announced a crowd of around you know a little over twelve thousand, but you know that's the same crowd they announced for the Celtics game, about five hundred more for the Celtics game, and there were there were a hell of a lot there more for the Celtics game. I would say, I mean, the upper level, and I, I sent out a few pictures. I mean, you're you're talking about like sections of six or seven sections of you know empty, or maybe one or two people in it. Uh, you know, there couldn't have been. I mean, my my guess. I mean, you're looking at you're under ten thousand people there. My guess, I don't know. It felt like seven or eight thousand people. I mean, there people were bunched into the center three sections down low. Upstairs was completely empty except for the two center court sections. Um, there's no, no atmosphere. I mean, you know, the players are feeling this, uh, especially when the tip off. No, nobody's there. You know, a few people stream in after tip off. But I mean, it's it's basically they're they're back to. You know, Tyrone Nesby levels of attendance. <laughs> I mean, we're back to the to the post MJ, those couple or pre MJ, a couple of years before he came back to play. I mean, it's it's really that's something which I think is a, a bigger issue. I think that Ted looks at than on the court stuff. I think he has no problem explaining away Ernie Grunfeld's, uh, you know, the team that he put together. Uh, I mean, he does that all the time. He has no problem doing that. But the one area where it hits him is the bottom line is when you look around and see those empty seats. And I feel like as long as season ticket renewal rates were going pretty well, and they have been the last few years, and as long as attendance was okay, I think Ernie was safe, regardless of what the output was on the court. As long as the attendance levels and the season ticket holder uh, rates are okay, I, I think he was, he was fine with it. But this has been – it's not just the Orlando game. It's been the entire season. Oh, the Suns, uh, just, some, Suns game I went to was really bad. But even starting, I was there at the, the opening night game. Uh, it's not as empty as it was, obviously, for Orlando or the Suns, but an opening night game is usually pretty full. And there were just tons of empty seats, and it, it's continued on. Even Cleveland, they announced it as a sellout, but I, 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 it was, I, there's no way it was a sellout just from the seats that were available 10 minutes before tip-off that were you know, way overpriced. Um, but, yeah, every game has been, has been empty. When you get Orlando and Denver, it's going to be empty on Thursday. Um, I think that's a bigger issue that, that Ted might take notice of, uh, or he should take notice of. But I think we're really seeing, we're on a tipping point. You're talking about rock bottom. I think we're at a tipping point this season where if it continues as it is and they don't make the playoffs, I think you're going to see that's the drop in, in the interest in the team and attendance. Like I think you're going to see a huge drop in season ticket renewals and, you know, you're, you're we're going to be back to the, to the, the Middle Ages. The, no, uh, the I've, I've, I mean, this is anecdotal evidence, but I already had a buddy that has Caps tickets, really good ones, multiple seats, and has Wizards tickets, multiple ones. And he, we were I am in today, and he told me he already told his Wizards rep that he's not re- renewing. I mean, he's keeping his Caps tickets, but I'm like, wow, we're only in December, and you've already told your guy that you're that you're not renewing. I've had multiple people on Twitter tell me this. I, f- I feel like there's this frustration, especially amongst your season ticket holders, who. You know, we discussed this uh, before. I've discussed this with Jonathan, uh, another season ticket holder, about the people that were brought on four or five years ago. Then now the ticket prices, you know, they were brought on a, a lower price level. And then now they, yes. they, they felt this increase. So then now you have those people who weren't as hardcore season ticket holders who are maybe softer. And then now they're just, 
you know, yo, I'm out. You're raising my tickets and you're putting this product and you won't get rid of Ernie Grunfeld and you miss out on Kevin Durant and you do these things and then you, you give quotes in the, in the newspaper saying that you maybe move the team from Verizon Center and, you know, you're complaining about your rent and you're saying it's the plan and you're starting over on Ernie Grunfeld from 2010, even though most of these second season tick holders or fans have known that Grunfeld's been in charge for a lot longer than that. And you see what you put around John Wall, and you look at this bench, and you're like, yo, man, I don't know. You're like, Ted, what are you doing here marketing-wise? I think he's making a lot of bad decisions marketing-wise, and he's always been such a smart, wise marketer, I think. Well, and the, the even bigger issue, I would say, for season ticket holders, I, I know as one, is that the resale value of the tickets is cratered. So you're looking at, uh, whether you're looking at StubHub or trying to buy them on Craigslist or through the Ticketmaster website, um, that is what most is the biggest issue in devaluing season tickets because usually you get season tickets because you have priority for, for, for the playoffs and you get cheaper tickets and you, you can, that's a big advantage. But if a team's not making the playoffs and your tickets, which cost you know, upper deck, even though they're 30 bucks down in the corners, you know, 50 bucks, if those are being resold for an Orlando game for $10 and for upper deck, I had two seats. They didn't sell at all. I, I you know, they're the minimum price and they didn't sell. So we're going for six bucks last night, $6 on well, StubHub. No, no, but see that. And that's actually not even – yes, they're going for $6. However, and I remember uh, I think Dan Steinberg mentioned this, uh, noted the $6 as well, but what, what, he's not, what he didn't note is that StubHub has instituted this year a new minimum price that you can set for tickets on StubHub for Wizards games. It might be – it's other games as well, but I know for Wizards. So the lowest you're allowed to sell a ticket for on StubHub is $6. Oh, so, so you, can't, when you, can't even, you can't even go for a dollar. Exactly. So when you're seeing those $6 tickets, there's and there's hundreds of them, those would be a dollar if they were allowed to be. So this is just like it was back when the tickets would go, if someone owns Craigslist would put it for 10 cents. I mean, we're, we are in that world because there are $6 tickets, like mine last game on Ticketmaster for $5 is the cheapest you can sell your ticket for. You can't ticket any, any less. I had Orlando Magic tickets up there for $5, cheap as possible. Uh, didn't sell. So the market is much, is being inflated if you want to call that inflation, inflating up to $6. It's being inflated by the fact that there's an artificial minimum that you can put it at. So is, is that, is that, in the world. Adam, Adam, is that the same four tickets down below? Because I saw ones for twenty bucks behind the Wizards bench or in the corner, and no, then, and then I was wondering what was the minimum because I was like, well, those should be even. Even though I thought twenty dollars obviously is pretty low, but then I'd see ones like center court still sixty, seventy bucks, and then I'd look on TV and there was nobody there. So I was like, well, why wouldn't that person? Sell a seventy dollars ticket still for twenty, but maybe they won't allow them to sell it more than less than forty, fifty, or seventy, or what? No, no, you can you can sell any ticket you want at six dollars, but oh, okay, there's okay. but there's and again this gets a little technical into the season ticket holder stuff, but they allow, they have a new plan now with season ticket holders where if you don't use your tickets, if they don't sell, you can trade them in to get credit. For the value oh, of the ticket, gotcha. so I think you, so. You wouldn't see someone sell a, a, a ticket they paid 104 face value just for six dollars. So they just trade. They trade that in instead. They can trade it in. They can eat it. They can you know get, you know give it to a friend at the last minute. But um, but so yeah, but it's six dollars is the lowest, and that's why you're seeing on StubHub that, that there's it's really we're looking at you know we're looking at a one dollar ticket market. You could you could go on Craigslist. I could list a ticket for a dollar, and nobody would even eat it. So I mean, we're in that world. I mean, you're seeing it on TV. Nobody is there, and. You know, I've been coming to games when I used to live out of town. You know, I've been coming to games for over 30 years. But out of town, I'd, I'd come down and buy tickets the day of. So I'm pretty familiar with the secondary market, how much it used to cost in the Gilbert Arenas days and everything. And, I mean, so we're we're in the world of 
of that's why I mentioned Tyrone Nesby. We're, we're in that world, and uh, and you know, and Ted knows it. Believe me, he get, he knows he knows what the the walk up sales are. I mean, he he was there for the Orlando game, and you know, you're you're seeing those crowds, and it, it's an embarrassment. And the other reason that it's rock bottom is John Wall goes for 52 points last night. Career high. Bradley Beal, who had been playing really well, but the last two games he's been moping around. Laxadazel effort on defense all around. Markeef, terrible off the ball, uh, contesting. You know, Wall, even Wall gives up, you know, all these points early to Peyton. He, He's getting not enough credit from our, our good friend Kyle Weedai that I thought his defense on Peyton improved in the second half, but at some point Peyton already has a career high at 25 points. Uh, Wall took over, but the thing is Wall took over, but he really was the only one scoring and the, and I hadn't seen Wall shoot that well for so long. And there was just no, no hustle on both ends. And it's bizarre, you know, once again, you go back to what Brooks said and Brooks said the same thing after the game. Hey, we scored 116 points. You know, the Magic were one of the worst offensive teams. They averaged 93 points. They had 124. You know, that's how we lost the game. And, of course, they lose the game in 40 points in the second quarter. It looks so bad on TV. Uh, I think Candace Buckner, the Washington Post uh, person, or beat writer, she even mentioned, you know, early in the fourth or late in the fourth, and she was like, hey, the Wizards can still make this a game, but they look like they haven't cared all, all game. So, yeah, it's only eight points with, you know, six, seven minutes left. Uh but, you know, I haven't seen any chance that they actually give a fuck. I mean, she didn't say it like that, but essentially that's what uh, she was saying. And then Bradley Mill misses a dunk. Uh, you have Gortat falling on the floor, slipping around. I mean, just all these things highlight all this. What was it like to actually watch the basketball product? And maybe this is conducive to the environment in the arena and everything is related. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're not, you're not blaming the fans for the encore product, are you? Uh, that they're not hustling because the fans aren't cheering loud enough. Uh, no, that 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 no, no, that fans aren't showing up because of the shitty team, and then the shitty team plays shittier because nobody's there. <laughs> That's what I mean. Okay, well, okay. I'm well, never, well, come on, come on, Rufin. You know I will not blame the fans. Not, I'm not. Like, okay, I'm not like Jay, you're not talking to Jay Michael here. But I'm just okay, saying the okay. dead environment that they're created yeah, yeah. by the management has created this, and the and the players are acting like it's a pickup game. Yeah, I mean the. Chicken and the egg theory, I guess, right? In a, in a sense. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm watching it from, I tell you, sitting in the, the 400 level, what, what you see, because it's sort of like, you know, a football game, you can see the, the formations and on defense and how people are rotating a lot, a lot easier up there. And I mean, it was, I mean, that's where I was most astounded by Marquise Morris. We actually see from up there, like just sort of the, the one hand lunge he would make, like at somebody after they'd beaten their man, uh, you know, as opposed to actually moving his feet to help. And you just see the, it's really it's laziness, and and that's really what the problem is. That they're 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 not. It's not a coincidence that Orlando scored 124 points. Like it happened because there was no defense being played, and that's it's dead in the arena. Uh, it got a little loud when Wall when Beal went for that dunk. That would have cut it to seven. That would have I think that would have there would have been a timeout. I think that might have got everybody going. But again, look, that's you know that's a big stretch to say we were going to win if he had made that dunk. But I'd have to imagine that it does impact the players you don't want to give them an excuse but it, playing inside in front of a uh, stadium like that i mean it's i mean i went to i guess a couple years ago now i went to san antonio and oklahoma city on the, the wizards road trip so i went to those games back to back and it's i mean it's night and day it's it's a lot different when everybody's engaged and everybody's screaming i mean there's a reason why there is a home court advantage i mean it's a it's a thing you know it's an actual thing and 
you know, Washington doesn't have it. So, yes, if, the, if there were 20,000 people every game cheering and, and helping, you know, maybe when they go on the runs to carry them over the edge, I mean, it would be helpful. But, I mean, um, like you said, the chicken or the egg, nobody – people aren't going to come out until they start winning. And and they have. They've shown they will support the team. I'm just going back to the Gilbert Arenas days when they were consistently – even though they were about a mid-40-win team, but they were consistently getting the crowds out there. Um, so this isn't a Portland, you know, we're not in a Golden State situation where they're going to sell out every game regardless. Uh, but I think we've reached sort of a, there was a, a lot of, uh, last year, the, the deflation from going from the, you know, the, the second round two years in a row to last year. I think that's carried over to where you have a full year of underperforming coming into this year, not getting Kevin Durant. I, I think we're really seeing just that the, we're hitting that tipping point where just the casual, fans are not interested in in, in the game in, in any way. No, I think I think that you're hitting on something is that you you missed the playoffs, but you still have this, oh, hey, we have all this cap room that we've been waiting to, to unleash. And then you don't get Kevin Durant, you don't get Al Hofer, you get no one to really move the needle, and then you make all these minor moves, so the fans still have a wait-and-see approach, Correct. So, but that, but that, and you have a new coach and you have new players and you all kind of want to see how this all meshes and they get off to a slow start and they have such the same issues going on with the big three. They're solid three players actually playing pretty damn well. It's very negative and fatalistic and especially your soft fans out there, your casual fans are not going to really want to go see because your diehards are pissed that you haven't got rid of the person they, they know to get rid of. And then your casual fans are like, oh, how are the Wizards doing right now? Should I go pop some money down? And they go, oh, wow, they suck again. Oh, we're back to that what they were before. And I think that that's where they're caught in the middle. Now, let's go with – I guess my question to you is that you know, what – where did – so maybe it's not rock bottom, but I think today – or how about this? What you saw on what you saw online, Adam. Okay, so I knew that once John Wall was at fifty two, and I tweeted it out, and I said, "Hey, this is year seven of Ted Leonsis management, and here we are losing at home to a bad team when John Wall, the franchise player, goes up for career high, and this is where this team is, and it just it just kind of symbolizes." That Ted Leonson's way and his plan, his ever evolving plan throughout these seven years, has manifested to this. You know, set aside fans are coming or it's packed or whatever. Even though we, you know, you have mentioned that that motivates him, and I'll set that aside. But just purely on the basketball court, and the reason I mentioned the shot with Paul Pierce and where they went is that I looked and we see that they swept the Raptors. And then I see how much better the Raptors have gone from that moment. And I see how Charlotte is better. And the Hawks, I guess, have, you know, been struggling lately. But there's all these teams that, you know, that I see in the East, Eastern Conference that the Wizards could, if not better, but why have they gone up and the Wizards have gone down? Well, <laughs> I mean, not with all of them, but, but, but I felt like, like that is why I had a reaction out of it. And I guess my question, that wasn't really a question. I just went off on a rant. My question to you, you is that, when you saw the reaction today, it was predictable. Because I knew, I didn't even see PTI. I'm sure they had it. But John Wall has 52. You're going to talk about that, right? And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, John Wall has 52. Oh, wow, they're still bad. And wow, they lost to the Magic. They're not good. You know, it's like if they would have lost to the – John Wall has 52, they lost to the Warriors or the Spurs, right, or the Cavs. That wouldn't be as, as glaring as it was. And you saw it at the Ringer. I saw it on Deadspin. Uh, you know, 
fan-sided. I mean, there was like four or five different blogs that went in national sites that went in on the organization and everything. And then you go and then that starts the whole speculation of getting rid of John Wall and they got to break it down. And Bill Simmons has been saying that stuff on his podcast, but it really highlighted uh, what is these warts of this team? It all go, but it all goes back to Ted Leonsis and Ernie Grunfeld. And I'm asking you, what did you think about the, the reaction uh, online, and where does this team, this franchise, go from here? Well, I think the it, it puts a highlight from in terms of national. You mentioned like the Ringer and you know Fanside and all those people writing about uh, the 52 points plus a loss. Because I think for them, it's sort of something that they can see and put a flag down and say, there now there's a problem. But for the fans around here, I mean that that's something we've been seeing with the bench. I mean, everybody knows the, these issues that, that they've been having. So, I mean, I would say in terms of where, where they go, um, I think realistically, even though they're 7-13, I think it's too early for them to the, the, to start looking at, at trades. I think that, you know, there'll be the blogs and people writing about, get, should we get rid of John Wall? And I would say only if it would be something he wanted and it would free him from, from this, from this mess. But, um, I think you need to have, I think they need to play another 10 or 15 more games. And I think the rock bottom where you're, where you're asking about, I think we have a ways lower to go because I think seven and 13 is bad. But when you're, let's say 10 and 25 and there's now the realization that the season's over, you know, that you're not going to make the playoffs. Now it's still early enough where people say, Oh, we can turn it around. You know, we're only two and a half games out of the eighth spot. But when you're, you know, 10 and 25, when, when you're a little bit farther down the road, then I think you're going to see more of the infighting. Uh, you know, a little more of the comments Quartat's going to make. Uh, Wall's going to be pissed, you know, wasting another season. Uh, so I think I think there's a ways lower to go because that's when you start realistically looking at do they make a trade, what trades could they even make, then who's going to make the trades. Now Ernie's on the hot seat. Do you even want him making the trades? We don't, but, but who's going to make that decision? Uh, so I think I'm thinking once the season is thought of as being lost, and I think that takes at least 35 games, or so with the record, you know, significantly under 500. I think that would be rock bottom. I think we're still in this team has shown it's good enough. Just like the San Antonio game. You're talking about Oklahoma city. They can rattle off three or four wins in a row. Like easy. It, that's the, that's the problem here. And that's the frustration. It's not a lack of skill. It's a lack of effort. So they can easily beat Denver, Milwaukee, Miami coming up. I mean, these are not good teams. Charlotte, um, they can rattle off three games in a row. And this is where you get into the, uh, what I mentioned before about Leontis after the Knicks game. If they win three or four or four or five, it's like all's forgotten as if, you know, all the problems are solved. So that's why when you say the rock bottom, I don't, I, it's just so easy to, to come out of this by winning two out of three games and everybody forgets until the next rock bottom. So, I mean, I just think we're in, we're just in this cycle where we're going to hit a rock bottom and then we're going to win a couple games and then everyone's going to guard, you know, start going, uh, insane again. But I think it's going to have to be, you know, 30 or 40 games into the season before, they really start looking at actual changes to the team. And then, of course, that's a, that's a whole – for a whole other podcast of what they can actually do but because they're sort of stuck with what they have now. But um, Yeah, no, so I, think, I, I, th- I think you're correct. Well, Adam, here's some positive pixel uh, section of the show. The Wizards are only three games out of the eighth playoff spot, the Pistons. Uh, they are only three and a half away from sixth and seventh, which is the Bulls and oh, the Bucks. Okay. They're only – Four and a half away from the Knicks, who's in fifth, and they're only five games away from the Celtics and the Charlotte, who is third and fourth. So they're oh, only so they're only they're only four games in the loss column behind the Celtics, who reside in third with sixty uh, two games left to play. So I guess in that sense, you're right. I mean, it is probably too 
soon to freak out. And, and I, I agree with a pump in the brakes of like trading John Wall and all of that. I think that the, the, the frustrating part, and you're right about going in, if this keeps going and we're going to have a podcast in January and February, we're going to discuss all these things. But I feel the depressing thing that I feel amongst the fans, like the true fans that I interact with, is that they realize there's no real way out of this. In the sense that you, we just used all our cap money. Uh, Otto's played it well enough. There's a report, you know, already. Zach, uh, Zach Lowe's reporting that Otto, multiple GMs told him this week that Otto can get the max and Otto deserve is going to get a huge raise. And the Wizards probably their best bet is to actually give him the raise and uh, to that. And now you would have Beal and Wall and and and. Uh, Auto and you'd have Beal and Auto making more money than Wall and a guy that'd make probably John's head explode. But there is they just gave up. Uh, you know, if you count Scott Brooks, they've just invested two hundred seventy-five million dollars in the offseason to contracts. They are not tearing this down after twenty games. And I don't mean that they sh- shouldn't do it or whatever, but I just don't. S- and I don't know if I really advise that. But even if you try to tear it down, I don't know what that really entails. So you're just kind of just hope that they got to get better. And, you know, maybe that McClellan and you you get Sadoransky's confidence back and Mihibi comes back. And, and I know a lot of people don't want to hear that because it sucks because a lot of these parts are not really, you know, it's not like you're like, oh, my gosh, let's get this 15 points, 20 point score off the bench, 2010 guy we're waiting for. Like, no, I mean, there's a lot of moving parts that got to, you know, come together as as one. But. I think that is maybe why the frustration is really out there. Aside from the record, it's just knowing that we've just had this big free agent signing and our bench is very bad and we got a new coach and we can't fire the coach. So we can't fire the owner, even though some people want to fire the owner, uh, raise his hands. I don't know. I wouldn't fire the owner. I just think that he needs to be a lot, he needs to be a lot better than he's been. But then that just puts it on one person, one person only. And I don't know even if getting rid of Grunfeld tomorrow would do anything more than just cosmetically make fans feel better. So I feel that I don't, not that I don't think that this team needs new leadership and new minds in the front office. I strongly believe they do. And everyone listening to this was probably nodding their head and smiling. Yes. And I think that would make a lot of uh, people feel better. I don't know if that actually makes this team better in a month or two. I think that that's already baked in the cake of what he did earlier this summer. Well, I mean, I think the earlier you fire Ernie Grunfeld, the better, I would say, under any circumstances, simply because I think there is a level of accountability which has been missing. And, yes, obviously firing him doesn't change who's on the court, but you need to have someone in there who's going to do an evaluation. And, and you have guys like Jason Smith. I mean, oh gosh, the whole bench the whole bench he signed. I mean, yeah, it's, it's for several years now because he got Nichols into a four-year contract. Jason Smith uh, somehow – negotiated a player option for the third season. I don't know how he got away with that. Um, but, you know, to have – I think it does change the culture of the team if you have an expectation of success and also accountability for losses. I mean, as it stands, we're talking about, you know, 13, 14 years with, with yes. Brunfeld here. So I know that, you know, Ted doesn't count those earlier years, but we're talking about <laughs> – it's a team. It's an organization. He's not just a GM. He's a team president. I mean, this is an organization molded in his image, and so I think that it's. But I, but Adam, Ted, Ted was just the the owner of the the hockey team in the same building, and the minority owner of the Wizards during those years. He doesn't. He blocks it all out. 
Well, the weird thing is that I don't understand because I don't follow hockey as, as closely, but I'm aware of what they did with the with the GM there. I guess McPhee. I mean, that you, you had a similar situation, so I don't understand. In terms of a guy who'd been there for whatever it was, 15 years, or however long he had been there, and he gave him a few years and then and then replaced him. I, I don't know what the and they had one of their be- and they had one of their best regular seasons in a while after that. Yeah, but <laughs> but it's just the the way that Ted seems to communicate, you know, mainly through his blog and through Twitter with the fans, it's in an antagonizing manner. And that's the part I don't get. I know he doesn't have a thick skin and he doesn't, you know, I can see how he doesn't like all the d- different blogs of people, all the negativity he gets. I see that anytime he tweets something, you know, he's, he just gets a bunch of fire early replies. So I, I can see why he would be sort of conditioned to be defensive. But to actually, you know, go out of his way to antagonize the fans, I just, I just don't get it. And that's the only thing that concerns me in terms of his knee-jerk defense of Ernie that's always the first response um, to find some way to somehow uh, defend him. So it's sort of like it's like a whole like a love hate relationship. Now the fans you know root for the team, but they you know they they want to change you know every, they want to change with the GM, and then you have the owner just telling them to basically be quiet and uh, you know you don't know why you all you know, why do you want to do the change so quickly? And it's only been a few years, six years, I guess. So I mean it's it's just. It's weird that he has this sort of uh, seems to have blinders on. He's, he's just tone deaf to what I. The only explanation I have is that he thinks it's a very uh, loud, small minority of people, and I think oh. he just misread. How's it? How's it a minority of people when I'm at the Suns game and you have 16 year old kids in the stands with te- with with teachers saying, "Not my GM." Well, no, I, it's not a minority. I'm saying the only <laughs> explanation I can have is that. He, that's his belief that this is just a, this is the way the business is. You're always going to have people who are complaining about the team no matter what. And it's just a very vocal group. It's the only way I could explain why he would look to antagonize those people. I just don't think he realizes the goodwill he would get from firing Ernie. Oh, oh, I think he'd get tremendous goodwill. I mean, Kyle put one up, a Twitter poll up today. You know, hey, if they fired Ernie Grunfeld, would you buy more tickets? Would you, would you don't care or it doesn't matter? And it was 80% would said, I would buy tickets. Now, granted, that's 600 people voting, you know, and it's online or whatever. But still, that's like, you know, and, and still 25% said it didn't matter. But it still is like, yo, I mean, like, that's actually, you know, that's what you're supposed to be mattering here as a, as a marketing person. I mean, if Ted Leonsis and Ernie Grenfell grabbed the mic before a uh, Wizards game and introduced anyone, they would get booed loudly, Right. Uh, without yes. a doubt, both of them. I think even Ted would get booed before because of Ernie. Ernie would, pro- I mean, Ernie would be savvy not not to do that, and Ted probably is too. So then it isn't just some you know egghead, you know, someone with the egg avatar on Twitter saying you know awful things about Ernie Grunfeld when you tweet something out about snag films on Twitter. Like th- this is a a vocal minority, a vocal majority, uh, not just a vocal minority, like an actual majority of fans. And I think that you're right in the sense that it has become symbolic. And I don't know why he is – is it because he's just so stubborn of his way? And, and when he gives these answers – and my biggest gripe, and I went off on a whole Twitter rant of this, is my biggest gripe about him is lately where he went from Mr. Accessible and I'm, you can email me and I'm going to blog and I'm talk about analytics and I'm this new owner and do all these things. And then now he's shut off his email. 
He's thin-skinned about any type of criticism. He's hitched the wagon and, and Ernie Grenfell. He gives talking points about the plan that constantly is evolving and changing. And it goes goes from, you know, we're going to be big along with Andre Blotch and we're going to be the bad boys and we're going to build through the draft. And we have McGee and Vesley and now we're going to go young and now we're waiting for this big free agency moves. And then when those things don't happen, he still blogs all the stuff in the summer about how everything's going on right on schedule. And instead of just being like, you know, hey, we, we missed some guys. Or, hey, like, level with this fan base who this is a very intellectual area. I mean, people work for <laughs> there's more four deg- four year graduate degrees in this community than most places. And you, you're trying to bullshit people, and it's just not working, especially when the results are on the court. And I don't really understand why. I mean, I get why he doesn't want to do it because it admits fault, I guess. And his other and his other business ventures, he never has to do that, right? But when it comes to this, there's a score. In a sense, and I just don't. I I I I'm perplexed how he went from this accessible owner that's gonna you know have his hundred one things and he uh hundred one things for fans and have all these meetings right. with season ticket holders and he had all this thing to now where it is clear that you need a new leadership in the front office. I mean, it has been crystal clear. You held on to Randy Whitman too long after you you blog about analytics and then you keep Randy Whitman as your coach. And, and then how long did it take take him to finally begrudgingly? What did it take? It took them to miss the playoffs. Because I guarantee if they got a six or seven seed, do you not think that Randy Whitman would still be the coach? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, he, right? he wasn't going anywhere until it's, it has to be forced out, basically. So, so he found a scapegoat in that sense. They fire the trainer. They get all this stuff. And he, he's you know showing willingness to make investments in Scott Brooks, and, I, and I'm okay with that move. But there just seems to be this this thing where, oh, well, hey, why would I get rid of Ernie? He's just told me what to do. He, you know, or, you know, we're on the same page. He's doing well, exactly what I said to do. So then I'm like, well, then are you making the decisions here? Or because if, because if you're, then he's like, you know, hey, I'm evaluating it's constantly. So then I'm like, you know, and these are quotes that he's giving me. I mean, I feel like Adam, like, I'm just trying to hold him accountable to his own words of what he said he wants to do. Right. And, and the biggest gripe to me, and Kyle's made it, and I've tweeted about it, is that here it is the D League team. 2010, he takes ownership of this team. I asked him multiple times about this D League. Are you going to own your own team? And at that time, only a handful of teams had owned their own team. And he's like, yep, we're looking into it. We're looking into it. Oh, we're looking into our new facility, practice facility. We're looking into it. You know, what do you spend his time on? Trying to get the jumbo, get approval to have better LCD jumbotrons outside Verizon Center? He spent more energy and resources. And then now it's getting, what, two inter, uh, arena ball teams? Now, he did finally get the practice facility that maybe they're going to have a D-League team in 2018. Eight years later. And so then I'm like, well, I'm just holding you accountable to those moves. And then now we're, what, one of the four or five teams in the league that doesn't have a D-League team? And how, what has this team struggled around the John Wall era? Developing players. So all these picks, you know, that they had. So the picks didn't work out, didn't develop them, unless they're a top three pick. And then you go and you get all these veterans and trade your picks. And then it's like, well, we're – and then he's constantly talking about this plan. To me, that is where you're talking about the cultural institutional thing. So I can sit here and complain about rotations of Scott Brooks or I can complain about Ernie Grunfeld's, you know, misses of Jason Smith or why the hell he brought Thornton back or why Scott Brooks – you know, why they believe Trey Burke was a point guard over Thomas Sadoransky. But to me, it's more like, yo, what's this culture, this institutional thing that's been going on since Melanie Minnow took control of this team eight years ago, Adam? Do, do you see where I'm coming from on that? And I feel like this is yeah. fair. I don't feel like I'm being a dick by saying this about Ted at all, honestly. Well, Commercial break time. Yes, I have a sponsor, Sneakus, S-N-E-K-I-S dot com. Sneakus, DMV, sports apparel, hoodies, 
hats, t-shirts, cool-ass designs, hook your friends up, hook your family up, especially for the holidays, and in the process, help support Wizards Independent Media that is not owned by Monumental or Comcast, and at checkout, enter Pixel and Roll for 10% off your order. Thank you, everyone. Now back to the show. Well, no, not, not when he holds up the plan as don't judge. Hey, guys, don't judge the team by wins and losses. Don't judge the team by whether we get to the playoffs. Don't judge the team by whether free agents or, or draft picks develop. You have to judge the team and judge Odie Grunfeld based on whether he is following the plan. And so he's, <laughs> he's removed any type of accountability because how do you how do you judge whether he's following the plan other than you telling us that he is? Because it's if this what we're seeing now on the court isn't a deviation from whatever plan, then the problem is not only Grunfeld. The problem is the plan. If you're telling me what is happening now is what is consistent with what your plan was to happen, then there's a problem with the plan. The other issue would you pointed out is why are why is Ernie Grunfeld being judged by how he follows through on something you tell him to do? You're, you're a you own the team, you made your money, and you're a very smart guy, have tons of money. But why isn't the basketball GM the one who is setting the plan, and then you judge him based on wins and losses? Did he come up with a good plan that has any type of positive impact? No, then you fire him. Yes, then you keep him. Like it shouldn't be he's being judged based on how he, he answers to you, and and that's what's frustrating to the fans because. We're being told, no, 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 it doesn't matter what you're seeing on the court. Uh, Besley, uh, Kawhi Leonard, it, it, it doesn't matter. It's just, hey, the plan's going okay. Because when I go to the game, I'm going to watch the team win. I'm not going to see whether the plan is being uh, fulfilled. Because if this is the fulfillment of the plan, then it's not something that we should be striving for. So that's really where I think the frustration of just the total, total lack of accountability based on this this idea that has been come up with that they came up with, which gives Grunfeld a pass. Cause now when people say that they don't like Grunfeld, they want him to go, cause look at what he's done on the, the floor. Look at his record over 13 years. It's, it's abysmal. It's no, no, no. Judge him by how he fulfills my plan. And that's really where I think the crux of you get this frustration that's come to Ted, where he came in with a lot of goodwill. Um, yes. Obama. he came in here, uh, you know, after a Poland, and he's been willing to spend. That's the one thing. This is not a money thing. He is spending the money. It's it's the way the money is being managed, and who's and who's making the decisions with the money. That, that's the one thing that's a huge improvement over what people complain about a Poland. So he came in with tons of goodwill at that list. He said the hundred one things. He's going to make the experience a lot better. Um, and I don't know. Something happened along the way where he just got hardened and decided like maybe it was too much criticism. Um, he just turned into this more of an antagonist, and and that's really that's what's frustrating to the fans. That he could turn it around so easy. It just instead of mocking the fans, just have some sort of something that shows that you understand that what they're seeing and their frustration, and that does it goes beyond the six years that Ernie was here, or the years that you were a minority owner. Just the the, the thirty five plus years. So just something which says, hey, I feel what you're saying. He's done it a couple times in his tenure. He's written a blog post where he says, listen, this is unacceptable to me. This is not yep. at the end of the year. He said that. And that's cathartic. That's something which fans like, you know, you read that and, and something you say, okay, I understand. He, he, he sees where he's coming from. But it's it's just reading these things of where he rationalizes everything and basically telling us what you're seeing is not what you're seeing. Um, is That's the frustrating part. I, I really, I honestly don't know why it's happened, that what, how you can get this tone, be this tone deaf. But, but it's, he can easily change it. One way is simply by changing the name back to the Bullets. But yes, um, yes, the Bullets. I mean, if you would get, if you change the name back to the Bullets and get rid of 
Ernie Gruffield and just bring in Bob Smith off the That's street. Ten years of goodwill. Ten years of goodwill. Oh, I mean, we would held. I mean, the tone, the tone, and the criticism and everything. It'd be like, wow, he does. Hey, hey, guys. So when he would blog about, hey, we got this plan. Give us patience. You would literally have majority of the fans would be like, yeah, man, we got to give him patience. Right? Like, he feels us. Right? Like, hey, we gotta, you know, even we would still be bitching about what would be going on on the, on the court and we'd be picking apart and nitpicking certain things. But overall, this big picture, people would be like, yep, I'm buying in. Right? The same way they bought in 2010 or 11 to be like, yo, I know we're gonna suck. We've got John Wall. We're gonna build around him. And then they decide to get, you know, Jan Vesely instead of Clay Thompson and Kawhi Leonard, which would set me off on another rant. But then it's like, hey, we got all these things, and now it's like, hey, I'm just evaluating. Hey, it's, I'm in the middle of the plan. And then when he goes out and then and then th- complains about his mortgage payment in the Verizon Center, what, what's your thoughts on that when you read those quotes? Because it's tied into this defensive mode. Because, dude, like I, I defend. Like I, there's been a lot of good moves that he's done. I've defended the practice facility. I think the deal is a better deal than it's been portrayed in the media. I've been very vocal about my defense of him. I've done podcasts. I've tweeted about it. I've when I've talked to city council people about my my being in favor of this deal. That's in the interest of him. I don't get no money for him to say that because I actually believe that honestly that it is a good deal and this team needs this. You know, I've go to the John Wall events. I've covered all these good things. You've done it. There's a lot of good stuff this organization does, but for, but he's very myopic to this. And then when he comes out of nowhere and then just says this stuff about the arena and his rent and and our mortgage payment and, and all the, how he has his building costs. He has the highest building costs in the league. And I'm like, dude, you didn't fire Ernie Grunfeld. You don't change the name back. Uh, this team is, hasn't won 50 games since 1979, and you're talking about your mortgage payment when people just saw, know that Beyonce and, and Kanye and who else just sold out the Verizon Center, or, you know, uh, Sia and Adele sold out the Verizon Center. Their friends paid 100 bucks to go to a ticket, and you're talking about arena costs? <laughs> yeah, and, and the one strange thing about that comment, too, is because the – the criticism of Leontis and the criticism of the team is, is it's not about money. It's not that he having that mortgage, say, say he didn't have it. He could get $400 million extra, you know, back. He didn't have to pay it. Uh, the, the criticism isn't that he's not spending money. It's not that it's not like baseball where he said, look, we were bringing in more money. We could give out a $300 million contract to somebody. You know, it's, it's your fixed cost. You're, and you're spending the money. The issue is not how much money you're spending. It's, it's, it's how you're spending it and who you're allowing to spend it. So, the mortgage thing was strange, and also the other comment he made, I think it was either in that same article, I think that came out of the Washington Post interview they did. I'm not positive, but... Um, yeah, it was, it was. Yeah, the similar thing he mentioned about uh, how, you know, once they have a practice facility, then they'll be able to start, um, you know, attracting free agents, and they'll get young players. It, it, it's just sort of, he's putting it on these off-court things have to happen. He's... he's he pushes back the timeline to say, oh, once our mortgage is done, once we have a practice facility, once we have the best, uh, you know, uh, staff, and once we have these young players that people will want, then we'll be able to track free agents. And he said, like, we're not there yet. We're not there now. It's like, but that's – he's just making excuses for why the team is not good. So, I mean, you, you, if you're going to make those excuses, you have to admit that there's a problem here. You can't sell the team and then say – sell the team to the fans and then say, well – we can't really compete until we have a practice facility. Well, what are they breaking ground in 2018? I mean, what, what, why didn't you tell us that eight years ago that we're not going to have a chance until 2020 when we have a practice facility that all the agents <laughs> have seen and like? You know, that's not, you know, it's just making things up. So it's, it's, why, it's moving the goalposts constantly. Yeah. So it's just, it's, it's, it would be good if you could just say, listen, this is not, we, 
we were in the playoffs after the two straight years. They said we're going to build on this, and I, and and I got as a season ticket holder what to start this season. What they when they give you when they send the season tickets, it says that the, this season we'll see the Wizards make a fresh start. And I read that and I said, well, wait a minute, we're they, a fresh start. They were just in the playoffs two years in a row. They had the one down here. Like we're now making a, a fresh start from what? Like why why we need to rebuild and, and start over after? I thought we're building on wherever they were in the playoffs. So it, it's it's they're always as you say, moving the goalposts. There's no accountability. If this, if this is a fresh start this year, then there's no accountability. Then you have to acknowledge that there was a huge colossal failure last season for this to be a fresh start. So, I mean, there's no accountability of the colossal failure. It's just, oh, it's a fresh start. We've got some new faces. Let's see how Scott Brooks does. Well, wait a minute. We, what just happened? Like, well, how did we get here? Um, so, so, so what's weird about that, Adam, is that some of the talking points I heard preseason was, was like, you know, hey, we just barely missed the playoffs. <laughs> you know, like, like it, was, it was like, hey, we, you know, we, you know, hey, it was disappointing. We barely missed the playoffs, which was, you know, somewhat true. They were tenth, right? They were forty-one, forty-one. But yeah, you're telling me they're marketing fresh start, meaning that that something, you know, I guess they got a new coach. I mean, that's really it. I mean, I guess you know they signed a backup center. I mean, the core is still there. The five starters are still there. <laughs> well, but. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the what they're saying, and again, they would have to revise this now, is that it says that uh, they signed Scott Brooks and he will have depth, athleticism, and experience at every position on the floor with the team's five free agent acquisitions, Trey Burke, Ian Mahimi, Andrew Nicholson, Sadoransky, and Jason Smith. Oh, wow. So that's... So, you know, they're, 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 that's the company line when you're coming and here's the new, here's the new players, but there's, there's no accountability. There's not going to be any after this. I mean, I, I think this year there may be. I, I think this is Ernie Grumpel's last year. I said that before, though, so I'm not positive. But uh, oh, I, I gave know, that I gave that up a long time ago predicting that. <laughs> I, I think it, what, what I was saying before the reason why I think this is his final year is not the on court stuff. It's not that's a part of it, but it's this off court stuff. It's the cratering attendance, and I think that's what's really going to push Ted over the edge to have to make a change when you're. You, you could when there's a season ticket renewal rates are just gonna are gonna plummet. So I think that's really come March when they who knows what to do with the prices for new season tickets. But when they start seeing those renewal rates dropping, and that's pretty. I mean, I'm basing that on the fact that nobody's showing up now and nobody's paying six bucks for tickets that they're gonna ask for thirty dollars for you to pay as a season ticket holder. So you know, I think you're gonna see those those numbers crater. I think that's gonna have as as big an impact on Ted's decision on Ernie Grunfeld as as what's going on on the court. Especially when they, if the Wizards are still struggling and they're, looks like they're not going to make the playoffs and you don't have that potential income for season ticket holders for playoff games. So they couldn't even sell yeah, that, that, right? Yeah, that's the draw. The draw is the playoffs. That, that's the big draw to be a season ticket holder. And when you're, when they're asking for a renewal in March and their big push is, hey, if you renew, you're going to have your priority for the playoffs. Well, if you're nowhere near the playoffs, you know, that, that's, that hurts. So, well, yeah, I, you know, no, it's Adam, before, before I go, we already went over time, but I guess that this, this topic is, is good because, you know, I'd rather just talk about this to someone who is a season ticket holder who's been here a long time. And I obviously got all sorts of hot takes about this organization. We've followed this throughout the John Wall era and there's all, all this stuff. And I feel like, a, well, like I was mentioned earlier, like once again, it is accountability and I'm basically just, you know, using the quotes, I haven't gone back to the, the videos and the quotes I have of Ted Leonsis of all my interviews of him because I don't even want to go back and listen to it because it probably would just upset me uh, all again just to hear him all again. But I remember them vividly and have these conversations and I'm just trying to hold him 
like you mentioned, accountable to what he says he's going to do. And when he says these things, and then, like you mentioned, it becomes like poking the fans and how somehow we're not bracing in reality. So my question to you is about Grunfeld is speculating. And I guess it's a question that I've, I've never understood for going on six years since he took over the team, almost seven years, even though he, he continually mentions that he's owned the team for five years, even though it's going on six and a half, is, is it keeping Ernie around, he believes... There's always, like, another scapegoat when it comes to this criticism. Like, you can always say, hey, here's Ernie's running, not me. Or is it the sense that now he's so all in on Ernie that admitting that Ernie failed is admitting that he failed? And then it's almost become an emotional, stubborn thing? And not just being like, hey, you know, we tried this, it didn't work out, now we got a new person, we're going to try something else. I just don't know why he can't just do that. When it's when it is, it is getting to the point where it's so glaring that he's losing credibility and respect that he's actually trying to keep by saving face, by keeping doing what he's doing. Does that make sense? Like he's trying to save face in a way by saying, I'm doing this plan and, you know, moving the goalposts and all these things that we discussed. But in the meantime, he's becoming a national media laughingstock online. He's upsetting his fans. It's, it's hurting the bottom line. I can't imagine what the players say. You know, I can't imagine what the other, you know, league executives or owners look at him, what he's doing. When they when they look in and see the debate and read Deadspin or all the articles that are shared online, be like, wow, why is this guy still around? Or when someone brings up the, the record of Ernie Grunfeld that he's, what, the third longest uh, team president in the league and the other two have, what, uh, NBA titles? What What is it? Is, is it he keeps him around to divert criticism towards him or now he's so a part of him that now it's admitting failure, even though I just discussed that that saving face aspect is actually hurting him more, potentially. My best guess is that because he's the team president, and I don't know, you know, obviously behind the scenes what what everybody does, but I think he's more, I mean, he's bigger than a GM. Oh, you know, yeah. they have Tommy Shepard. They, they have those guys in the, you know, the in that office. And I feel like he's... I don't think Leonsis looks at him as just his, as his GM, like the way we look at him. The fans, the fans like, say, "Hey, he's like part of the GM. institution. He's part of the company. Right. He, like he, he's like yeah, an apartment. That, it's like firing a whole department of people, right?" Yeah. So I, I that's my only explanation for why he would be so hesitant because he's sort of he has he's the team president, and that's why I think part of the way that um, Ted judges him is not so much on the on-court product. I mean, obviously that that helps, but he judges him, I think, in terms of the entire health of the organization and what this team has been doing, regardless of how they played on the court. Since Ted took over, their season ticket base has grown. They've, um, I'm assuming he's done a lot of marketing stuff. That's not, that's not, um, Bernie, but they, I think the team has been increasing, you know, the money it's making. It's been as a business. I they got a new, making, new TV deal coming in with new money, yeah. right? So I think he evaluates it as a business. And yes, doing well in the court would help the bottom line because it would get more people in the stands, make more money. But, I think Ted, I think that Ernie is, is, I mean, he, he's seen as like a partner almost. I think Ted looks at him as like, this, this is the guy who runs my basketball team, the organization. And so I think that's my only explanation for why he's so entrenched and why the things that all the fans care about is what's happening on the court. The fans don't care about this other stuff about running the business, but Ted does. So I think when we all get angry and we all say there needs to be a change because of what's happening on the court, I think, you know, Ted looks at it as a, the bigger picture. And I think that that Ernie is so ingrained in, the, in this organization that fire him is 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 not just like flipping you know uh, a normal GM out of there and bring like for instance you look at what Phoenix did 
uh, when they brought in their GM, uh, you know, like a thir- what, it was like 33 or 34 when they the brought guy, him the in. The guy from uh, Boston, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, if, or even, uh, uh, I'm blanking on his name now in Brooklyn, who they brought in, but, um, uh, uh, well, I, I'm uh, no, Sean Marks, Sean Marks, former, exactly. former, yeah, Wizards, Marks. Uh, former Wizards training camp player. Yes, yeah, I was trying to, I, mean, I was looking at his face, I was envisioning his face, but so you look at him, it's not like if you were to fire Ernie, you just bring in Sean Marks and that would be a one-for-one replacement. Like, he, he wouldn't be over, he wouldn't be doing what Ernie does. So, like, I actually think it's almost more likely that, if there were to be a change, it would be sort of like the Redskins did, and they, they would make uh, ten, make Ernie the team president, keep him as the team president with a, with a healthy pay cut, and bring in a new GM. I think that's like the more likely scenario because we're so down the road of Ernie. Like I can see Ted doing that, just bringing in a GM, maybe even bringing making Shepard the actual GM. You know, Tommy Shepard and saying he's now the GM, making all business decisions, all, all basketball decisions, yes, and keep Ernie. So. I could see them. I could see him being more comfortable doing that, just like you were saying in terms of saving face. So it's sort of a, just a reorganization. But I, I just, I, I think he might be too big to fail, too big to fire. I, I, that's the only way I can think of why. What? Well, why? I think you mentioned yeah. it too, in the sense that Monumental's got so much going on, right? I mean, they got a TV network. They got a new TV deal. He's trying to start two arena ball teams. They got a hockey team. They manage the Verizon Center. They have a deal with the the. The Patriot, uh, the the Patriot Center out at G- George Mason's campus. They own the local Ticketmaster company. They uh, Ted is involved in numerous boards. I think he's still on Georgetown's board. He you know still invested in Groupon. I forget where he's at there. And then he also has his venture capitalist firm as well. So he's got all sorts of meetings and things going on. And so then he's probably just trust Ernie to run the basketball organization. Correct. Yeah, he's a lifer. I mean, Ernie's a lifer. He, he, he's this is not just like bringing in a young GM. I and mean, this guy has been around, and been in management positions, and can like run a basketball organization. Now, the on the court product might not be that great, but he's a guy you just sort of set it, you put him there, and that's my guy. That, that's it. Um, and the thing is, I like Tony Shepard. I lo- I know some of those person guys in the front office. They're smart guys. Like they're trying to do well. Like I, they have good intentions. I think at some point. You have to have the evaluation of not just this overall sense on the back end, but what's going on. And maybe you're right, right that when the rubber hits the road, is this that it's going to have to take the cratering of season ticket sales? That's that's my guess to sort of push to. Uh, but I think we're there. I think we're going to be there. Certainly this this year's renewals. Um, and I think this, that's why this attendance I think is so striking. The attendance drop. I mean, it, it's 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 striking and it's embarrassing and. And it's early. This happened early. This is not like something that happened just because they started losing a lot of games. Yeah. I mean, this was really. I was going to wait for like January when it's cold, right? And they're like, oh, I don't want to go to a game when it's 20 degrees out. It's like, man, it's, I mean, even though it hasn't been warm, warm, but it's still like, there's no holiday excuses. (laughs) People are around. Yeah. You're talking about the November games. November games that are just empty. So it's not just the, you know, immediate reaction to the performance that's going on. Yeah, I will. I will be at the game tomorrow night covering Denver. I will be. I will not going to the Bucks game, but they play the Bucks on Saturday night. They play at the Heat, and then they still have this homestand ish. It's still happening. They, I guess it's what five, six, or seven. They play Charlotte at home, Detroit, and then the Clippers. I believe on national TV a couple Sundays from now. Adam, anything you want to mention about these games or what you'd like to see coming up? 
uh, of this before we jam out here. Well, I'll be sitting next to you at that Denver game. Oh, right. Here um, we go. Here we go. I better and, get this podcast up then. <laughs> yeah, I think the Denver game I think is going to be pretty big because after the Orlando game, I'm very interested, interested to see how they respond to the Denver game because it's, you know, it's after nobody talking to the media. That was an embarrassing Orlando loss, and historically, yeah, yeah. Go back, come go, out back go back, go back. You, what, I'm sorry to interrupt, but we didn't touch on that. But I felt like that was another thing too. The media part. Gortat ducks the media. Beal ducks the media. The only one that talks. Uh, it, it looked like, according to Kyle's report, that he asked he asked for Gortat, and the media people tried to get him to talk. He wouldn't talk. Beal left early, which I thought was you know bush league behavior by both of them. That Wall has to take this all for them when they. You know, play poorly. Just your thoughts on ducking the media, which your average fan listening to this doesn't really care. But think about this part of your job, which you don't like to do, but you got to do, like some stupid report or some boss or whatever. Like that really is what this this media type of interviews afterwards. I mean, basically just mumble for two minutes and go. That's it. Yeah, it's not it's not a big deal to fulfill your obligations. Also, I was surprised they cared so much enough to. They didn't seem to care that much on the court. I'm surprised they were so intent on, on not talking to the media, especially Beal. You know, everything he says is pretty ro- pretty. You know robotic answers it's not that hard to say to just to to give like pretty quick answers um i'm i'm guessing and again this is without i wasn't in the locker room last night i'm guessing there must have been something that happened after the game and before the media was in there doesn't have to be something huge but maybe scott brooks you know yelling a little bit more than he should have or not should have a little more than he normally does maybe some arguing between players or something to to cause them all to want to just get out of there because otherwise they're usually pretty good at just you know, you give some quick answers if you have to. It's it's not. And Gortat sometimes leaves, sort of pulls Nene, Nene sometimes. You know, yeah, um, getting out of there. But yeah, I was surprised. I guess it's you could look at it as a good sign, simply because they, they maybe they care. But um, that's why I think it's interesting to see is there going to actually be some carryover? Is there going to be some type of uh, change on their play on the court? And historically, they have done that, and that's a thing. That's why I was talking about where you sort of yo-yo. They'll come out and have a huge game against Denver, and then we start the cycle all over again. So. I'd be interested to see that. Wall's always been great with the media. He always look. He's a true superstar, and Beal might be getting paid like a superstar, but I mean, we only have one superstar on, on the team, and 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 that that shows with what he did after the game, and and he's always been like that. So, so you like uh, so, so you see uh, tomorrow. How do they respond against Denver and Milwaukee? Hopefully, they had a spirit of practice today, and some assistants ripped their asses, especially on some of these weak ass uh, rotations that they've been putting forth. I believe, although I'm not positive, I think they were off today. I think I can get an immediate email. I think they were off, I, probably because it was planned because of back-to-backs. But I, I think the, the Wizards, the media, I think it said they oh, were they off. they were off? Today. Okay, so maybe they didn't have practice. Okay. And they have, yeah, I think so, they so maybe around, film, film, film session they got ripped on? Let's say that then. Yeah, they could have they could have that. But I'm saying, I, I'm just thinking, no, but my point was simply, this may be the first time they get on the court. They'll shoot around tomorrow, and then, like, this is their first chance to, to watch that. If they really didn't want to talk to the media, then go out on the court and show us Show the media, show the fans, you know, that you don't want to be in that position again. You, you're only in that position of, of not wanting to do that after you give a ridiculous effort against Orlando. So go out there and show something against Denver, and you won't be in that situation. Um, so I, I think it can go either way. I mean, they can either go for, go come out strong and play a great game, but, you know, it also means that they're sort of at a tipping point where if things start going poorly again, that's where you're going to see a lot more fingers being pointed, um, a lot more pointed comments from Wall. And, and if they didn't like it after last game, they're certainly not going to like it if it happens again. Well, these are three winnable games. I mean, the Nuggets, the Bucks, and at the Heat. Well, yes, but as was Orlando, though. But yes, <laughs> uh, I mean, you, you would have hoped that the homestand, you could, you know, Orlando, Denver, Milwaukee. Although Milwaukee's you know, pretty good. The Heat, 
Not so much, but uh, but then you have Charlotte. I, mean, I just don't see them beating Charlotte or the Clippers. I mean, I, they haven't played well over Charlotte historically over the last few years. And, I mean, Detroit, last year they didn't, they didn't play. I guess they did blow out Detroit once. But I, I, I feel like they got to get two or three of these next three before the, the, the back three of Charlotte, Detroit, and Clippers. Yeah, it's, it's tough, though, because that's like that. That's the logical way to look at it. But then you take a step back and look what they did at OKC and San Antonio. You know, it's almost that's what's so frustrating. It's they are capable of playing so much better, and they do it at, at, at weird times. You know, they'll, they'll lose to the worst teams and and play well against the best teams. So you know, you never. It's hard to predict going into the games, but uh, but we'll see. I, I think this will show a lot, and I think it'll you know maybe push Scott Brooks even closer to being insane if they don't come through and play a good game because oh he's he's getting the facial expressions already on the sidelines i i, I was nuts that he comes back on twitter to uh to, to deal with some of these look into the void uh scott yeah. brooks with the glasses because it's like whoa like he's what whatever i get myself into here on this team just keep looking at those uh direct deposit that's all I said to him. Keep looking at what you're getting paid, man. It'll make you feel a little bit better. But Adam, yeah. uh, thank, thank you so much. We've gone way over time, but I don't know if we solved anything or maybe this is therapy for some fans. Uh, hopefully so. But I'll see you uh, tomorrow night at the uh, at the Verizon Center, man. Yes, all right. See you then. All right. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, hopefully, I'll do another podcast here. Yeah, I think his name Kyle. I die. Uh, we all die. We die. Yes, uh, I've been trying to get him uh, to um, the show, but he's been killing it on the pixels. Go to truthabout.net. A lot of good stuff uh, up. A couple of recaps almost in every game. Troy and him and John has a nice piece up. And, and obviously come for uh, me and Adam's uh, recap here of this Denver victory or Denver disaster. But thank you once again, everyone. And as always...
Thank you.